The biggest rugby tournament of the year is coming to a Green King pub near you. Watch all the unmissable action live as Europe's top six battle it out for glory in the Six Nations tournament. In and out, in and out, for the line! Leave your rivalries at the door and get the team together to watch the Six Nations. Feel the excitement and the buzz of coming together to enjoy matchday food and drink at your nearest Green King sports pub. Scores in the corner! The Six Nations and Green King. 18 plus, drinkaware.co.uk. Hi, it's Alfie here, the presenter of The Ruck. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to tell you about Funding Circle. And to do that, British and Irish Lions, Saracens and England hooker Jamie George is alongside me. How are you, Jamie? All good, mate. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's good to have you with us uh, for The Ruck. Now, Funding Circle backs small and medium UK businesses with simple, competitive business finance. And Jamie is a Funding Circle ambassador because, Jamie, not only are you day-to-day a professional athlete, but you're also a business owner as well. Yeah, yeah. I uh, set up a business with a good school friend of mine about six years ago called Carter and George. Um, we're a physio business that effectively tries to deliver the same level of elite care that I get as a professional sportsman to the general public. So the link between physiotherapy and strength and conditioning and rehabilitation, etc. I've been looking for a physio. so I know a good place. I'll get your card after. Funding Circle has supported over 90,000 British businesses with £12 billion in finance since 2010. So, Jamie, simply, how have Funding Circle helped you? Well, obviously, they've got an amazing um, financial product. So um, our most recent venture is, is trying to grow the business as quickly as we can. We've got five clinics now and we're looking to push on. And obviously, we wouldn't have been able to do that without the help of a funding circle and um, the financial support that they were able to give us. So if you're looking to overcome challenges or push your business forward, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how Jamie is growing his business backed by Funding Circle. Hi, everybody. Welcome to what I think is the 40th Ruck podcast of the season. And the last from home, as from next week, for three weeks, we'll be broadcasting from our studio in Johannesburg. In other words, Owen Slot's hotel room. Thanks for staying with us. Thanks for downloading us today. And like Saracens and Leinster, we're going to go out at the top. No big panel today, just one man. Ben Ryan, none other, the coach of Fiji in their brilliant gold medal run at the Rio Olympics. People think that with a talent there, Ben it must be the easiest job in world rugby. But when you got there, you found not only was it the most difficult and the most testing, but an unbelievable journey. And in the end, the gold medal, an unbelievable feat. Yeah, it was. Now you're right. I mean, the talent is is everywhere in Fiji, but there were a few things we had to do to, to get them all aligned and pointing in the right direction. Um, and, and, you know, like the first 48 hours, it was... Made aware to me that I wasn't going to get paid for five months. That the the union had gone into bankruptcy. That the World Rugby had investigating them at the time and had stopped all funding. That my boss was was Frank Bynamarama, who had had his coup in two thousand and six. So he was still officially a dictator at the time. Um, his son-in-law was soon to be um, appointed as chairman, and he was sent to prison for kicking and punching someone to death at a wedding and uh, served manslaughter charges. Um, and we had one player that had, had a bit of black magic thrown on his legs so he couldn't stand up and he found him in the village. Uh, so things definitely got better from there. And the first, uh, I think the first time you went to a, um, to a tournament, Kalepi Namua, a guy you had very much had your eyes on, mm. broke his leg badly mm. as you were watching. 
you followed him to the hospital just to find out the systems that um, they would appertain there. Yeah. When you got there, you found his parents were taking him away. They took him to a witch doctor and they wrapped leaves around his leg. Yeah, and he had a bad, I mean, he had a spiral fracture. So his, his fib was, was out of his skin and foot in the wrong direction. And it was only one thing to do, really. But yeah, they, they we took him off the gurney and, and took him away. And they, you know, they went up into the interior. The healer pushed his bone back in and then wrapped it with these with these leaves and thought you know that that was the best thing to do and and I, I just I knew he wouldn't be able to play again for the Fiji team he's back playing now and he's not running in circles either but he <laughs> but, but he uh, he's got a bowed leg and he hasn't quite gone to the levels that he was and, and yeah there was so much I had to find out in my early days and mm. so I just I did that I looked and 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 didn't make any big decisions I I wanted to see what was going on and get as much information as I could before I started making any big decisions. The whole thing, the whole odyssey and the journey is contained in a book Ben's written. It's called Seven's Heaven, The Beautiful Chaos of Fiji's Olympic Dream, out this week. And beautiful is the right word. I have to say, Ben, sparing your blushes, it is a beautiful book. Uh, it's one of the best rugby books I think that's ever been written. It's full of, it's full of colour. Um, it's, it, it reminds us, I think, that um, rugby's gone so far down the route of systems now that, uh, that it ignored sk- no skills. Is that what you encounter when you arrive in Fiji, skills and not and an aversion to systems? And, and mindset and wanting to play with a smile on your face. And, you know, there, there is a lot of it actually is linked to culture on the island. So that there's this phrase they, they say called Senga Mataka, no tomorrow, you know, and, mm. and, and that can be bad because if there's a free bar, that bar gets emptied. And if there's a buffet, if you're not careful, there's, there's piled high with food because they're not sure if it'll be there tomorrow. But that's the way they approach the game. You know, they'll throw an offload, an audacious offload and support lines and because they're in the present and they're enjoying themselves. And because they do that all the time, because they have the understanding of where people should be, you know, more often than not, as we saw at the weekend into the barbarians, it gets it gets it works. And all the stuff that I had to go through off the field as soon as you step on the field and you start coaching the boys, it's just almost like a spiritual occasion where it's so much fun mm. that it just completely floods over anything negative. The other thing I was, uh, the, uh, the impression I get from 7-7 from Ben's book is that actually it's a magnificent rugby book, but it's way more than the rugby book because it's about everything to do with, to do with different cultures and, and clashing cultures and, and cultures that none of us really, even though we think we know about it, we, we, we don't. But just before we come back to the book, the, the, the endless stream of talented players, Ben, we were talking just before about um, the Barbarians and uh, Randrada, is that yeah, good? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And jo- Joshua Tusova, one, yeah. of, the, one of your team. <laughs> yeah. And the glory of this line of players never stops, does it? No, you know, because it's national sport and not just in Fiji, but in Samoa and Tonga as well. And so the very best athletic ability want to play. And a lot of them will come through the, the sevens because that's really the highest level they can play on the island. And then they've got to, they've got to go overseas to play professional rugby. So, and, and the money that they can earn can be massively significant. So you never, you know, I lost a load of players in my first year. And you get, you know, a Lapani Bottier, you know, that was magnificent. And he go off, he goes to La Rochelle, but it's changed his family, his village. It's, it, everything's changed for him. So at no point will I ever say don't do that because, mm. because I can see what a difference it makes. And, and you go around the islands. And I remember once um, 
looking in the Fiji Times, see, they have a calendar for what's going on at the weekend. And there were over 57 tournaments across the island. Mm. And, and I thought, wow, this is an unbelievable. Because I bet in every tournament, there's probably a world-class sevens player there somewhere. Mm. And, and so I traveled and got to as many islands as I could and, and watched that talent. And then it was just about smartening up a few things, um, giving them some good standards, trusting them, giving them an environment where they could do what they wanted to do with a smile on their face. Mm. And, um, and then you see some magical stuff because, you know, we can talk. They hadn't practiced much, the Barbarians team, and they were coming from different nationalities. But immediately they had a mindset to want to play, to want to offload, to support the ball, to not die with a ball. All things that I see in the village is when, you, when I'm going to work in the morning and it might be a 15-year-old kid with a 55-year-old all playing together on an uneven, undulating pitch with a plastic bottle. And they're playing this one-touch offloading game. Mm. And they just want to play. They just want to play. You don't. You're not gonna. You're not gonna be at a beach in Fiji, and they're gonna. They're gonna be doing some ceiling off or breakdown skills. I, I know that um, you can. You can give too much credence to a barbarian game, but mm. um, there was a kind of brutal contrast between the two teams. I mean, one was playing for, for fun, and they'd obviously had fun in the bars, etc. Before before the game. But just going back to this skills and systems thing. How did we get so far down the route to st- in in the whole of rugby se- uh, sevens and fifteens to systems? Well, I think you know that what what we've done. I was I was I was playing for the for the mighty West Hartlepool in the first year of professional rugby, and we went from twice a week to to every day, and we didn't. No one really knew what to do. We used to go to the gym and have a cup of tea and sit in the sauna and trying to <laughs> fill up our time like that. And Mark Ring was juggling eggs at two in the morning at training <laughs> camp. And uh, we just didn't know, you know, we could fill up. And then, so what's happened is they filled it with systems. Yeah. And, you know, my saying, you know, thicker playbooks equal thicker players. And that's what we've got to now because mm. there are so many systems. And I watched someone like Elliot Daly, who is a teenager. I've watched him grow as a player. He's a just, an, he's got some, he's got a skill set. But he's playing within a system that's that's stopping stifling that, mm. and so it was it was a system led game on one side, and then just he- uh, and I, I God, remember Brian telling me I shouldn't tell me about it. heads up rugby is such a like everyone should be playing with a head up, but I just mm. mean they were they were going forward, not accepting the tackle, mm. playing to space, supporting mm. the ball, all those sort of things, and reacting and. And if you are playing a system-based game where it's all about multi-phase, then you are just expecting that ball carrier to go to the floor and not expecting the ball. And every barbarian wasn't doing that. It was doing the opposite. Summed it up to me where they were running down the right-hand side and, and Justin Tipperick uh, went down the right-hand side and had this just uh, just sublime offload. Mm. In a, now, sort of almost over his head. Wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And it was yeah. so late and it was yeah. beautiful. And, and they expected it and, and scored a try from it. But you're looking at that and if you froze that, and you kind of superimpose that into a lot of international games or prem games. You'd see that guy holding onto the ball, creating a long barrier or sealing it off, and the next man coming in to form that pod to play another phase. Mm. And that, for me, summed up the entire game by Justin's movement there. That that's that's mindset difference. To put full stop on the English season, there also Saracens and Exeter um, finished the season. Saracens. Um, Ironclad really had so many injuries, but didn't they finish on a on a sort of emphatic note? I'm lucky enough sometimes to be able to go to both to, to all these different environments, and I think Exeter and Saracens have both got terrific environments. Mm. What we saw was probably Exeter's end of a chapter. Now that they they need to they need to evolve more. Mm. Uh, they they have 
you know they have a great culture they have some excellent players a really great staff with mm. that 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 just need to get beyond what they're doing now because mm. it's just become too predictable and and teams can suffocate and Saracens with the ball they change their point of attack just with more variation um they've got some terrific players they're very well coached it's great to hear today that they've had contract extensions for nearly their entire staff happy staff happy culture when you go into the the you go into to where they're training everyone's shaking their hands and talking mm. to you and asking you and it's it's just it's just great and they peaked perfectly and they were they were sublime they are better than the england team in every respect at the moment. Yeah, sure. I, I, I agree with that. Um, I'm, glad that, I'm glad two of us have said that. Now, maybe Eddie will stop blaming me. Leinster continued their domination with a big big win over Thalethley. Another thing that's coming up uh, this week, Ben, is, is the penultimate round of the World 7 Series, yeah. HSB World 7 Series. And so I wanted to talk to you about that because it's, in, it's at Twickenham and I don't know, it, it never seems to sit as easily at Twickenham as it does at Hong Kong and all around the, all around the world. I mean, look, I've, I've been to two or three. I'm very, very, very lucky. There's always a, always great fun at Twickenham. Like, two years ago, my son went dressed as Van Gerwen, the darts player. <laughs> is it a giant piss up more than it is an affection for sevens? I think it, it has, has become like that in some of the venues. I think there's always going to be outliers. Historically and for other reasons, Hong Kong's always going to sit separately to everywhere else. But the formats is too long now. Even if you're, you know, you're you're completely addicted to the game of sevens to sit and watch forty-five plus games, mm. you know, for too long, that twelve-hour periods plus, it's too much. They mm. need to shorten the format. They have to make it a little bit. I mean, I'm not talking about the actual games of forty minutes, but I'm talking about the number of games. They need to think of. A, a quicker way to do it maybe straight knockout like they used to do at Middlesex Sevens I know there's travel around that but ultimately mm. it's got to be a lot shorter because okay. I, I can turn on the TV and watch for four hours I might I might not know what's going on and I might not even get to watch my team play mm. and at the stadium it had become too alcohol fueled Twickenham and then they reached that they reached that point where they had to just shut it all down and go back to basics again now they're building it up again and I hope they learn their lessons fill the stadium but make it about the rugby a bit more. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's going to be great this weekend because it's a knife edge at the top of the tree. You've got Fiji and South Africa fighting it out at the top. Hmm. And I'm seeing on Instagram that uh, Randrandra and Tuasova are in the Fiji Sevens camp, which just is a horrifying, you know, if, if you're facing those two at centre hmm. and wing, I, I, I wish you all the very best of luck. And South Africa have got Siabella Sanatla back from Super Rugby, who is a Rolls Royce of a player on the wing. He's yeah. so... He runs so beautifully, he scores tries and they've lacked, um, they've been battered by injuries and super rugby commitments. They lost Quagga Smith, who's now, looks like he might earn no, his full no, cap. In the, no, in the, in the yeah. team, yeah. yeah. So, so they're hanging on in there and um, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens uh, next weekend because you are going to see some star talent. And weirdly, I, I tweeted about the Sevens boys that are playing for the Barbarians, but you could have had ex-international Sevens players um, from Barbarians. You had Lobe, Vito and mm. Tuparic. That's mm. not a bad sevens mm. pack. Mm. Um, and then, then you, you could have had Laidlaw, um, and, uh, and Randrandra and Tuisova and, um, and Fekitoa as well played for Tonga back in the day before he then went across the All Blacks. Sure. Um, is this still the right development tool if, you know, if we hadn't completely crucified it when the EPS came in and, um, unfortunately when that was all done, sevens disappeared from uh, all the pathways and, Mm. It's you know it's not the it's not the uh, solution to everything, but it's a ni it's a nice add-on for certain players at certain times. 
The biggest rugby tournament of the year is coming to a Green King pub near you. Watch all the unmissable action live as Europe's top six battle it out for glory in the Six Nations tournament. In and out, in and out for the line! Leave your rivalries at the door and get their team together to watch the Six Nations. Feel the excitement and the buzz of coming together to enjoy matchday food and drink at your nearest Green King sports pub. Scores in the corner! The Six Nations and Green King. 18 plus drinkaware.co.uk Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Ruck Podcast is proud to be sponsored by Funding Circle and Saracens, British and Irish Lions and England hooker Jamie George is with me to explain how Funding Circle are supporting small and medium-sized UK businesses because Jamie, you, as well as being a rugby player, are also a small business owner. Yeah, I own a business with uh, a good school friend of mine, Reese Carter. It's called Carter and George. We're a physiotherapy business. Uh, we've been up and running for about six years now. And sort of our strap line is delivering the same level of care I get as a professional sportsman to the general public. If you're looking to improve different parts of your business or hire talent with extra know-how, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Jamie, you want to do the sign-off for us? Absolutely. Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how I'm growing my business backed by Funding Circle. Ben, let's just talk about England because whenever I see England play, when when you were in, a coach of the Sevens team and, and subsequent, they are unbelievably dedicated, rather mm. rather charming guys, mm. um, uh, quick, um, like people like Dan Norton. Mm. You know, the number of tries he scored is is beyond belief. But they don't actually impinge enough on the national consciousness here, and right. only I mean, there's only one tournament that's in England. But what's the answer to that? You talk about pathway. Should we put it back on the pathway? In my opinion, yeah. So to give a real quick historical summary, 2007-ish when EPS came in and uh, um, before that we could use two things, uh, the old World Reg or RB Reg 9 that allowed Sevens was on that yeah. to include it for international release. And also there was a, a I could I could pull in players, young talented players from all the Prem clubs. There was an agreement. EPS disappeared, so gone were the the chances of getting your Danny Cares, Ben Foden, Zugo Monyas, James Haskells. They all they all uh, went from that program, and then we went down to Reg Nine, and that meant I brought in the Exeter Chiefs and the Cornish Pirates and those boys in the Championship, the best mm. young. And then Reg Nine went. And that left them with only one decision. They had to try to go to full-time sevens players because that was the only way I could have gone to Old Wimbledonians, asked for a player and under Reg 9, they wouldn't have had to release. So we went to that and they didn't bother putting any pathways in at all. And I fought tooth and nail to try to put some plans in place. But, you know, at the time at Twickenham, um, if you sign off something that maybe has long-term implications, they're very worried. They were very worried about that and having Why to... Why would they be worried about that? Because it's it? accountability and uh, they mm. didn't like to um, become accountable for some of the planning and they decided just to go year by year with sevens. Mm. And that meant that there was no pathway. And 
they either need to create that pathway because I've got lots of mates that teach sevens in schools and they mm. say that it's growing at a fantastic rate. Mm. And you only got to go to national sevens at Roslyn Park and it's just brilliant. Um, but there's no real pathway in. And then at the top end, they could have done something to renegotiate to get some of those younger players. And I look at someone like a Gabriel Ibatoyi that's playing age group and probably won't maybe make the start inside at Quinns at the start of the season, but to get some international experience to play against wingers that are world-class coming through from the islands and various others would be brilliant as part of the pathway. And, you know, the Trinders, the Johnny Mays, those guys I was knocking on, on club stores all the time to try to get them and they were ending up sitting on benches or playing A-League rugby. And I didn't want to have them for a long time. I just wanted them to have a slice of that Add the quality and put it in the pathway. Have you? But have you not hit the nail, nail on here? In, in, there's two interesting things you, you you put up there. We'll have a separate program on why you'd want James Haskell for the sevens, but we'll we'll do we'll do that another time. <laughs> and uh, and secondly, that the governing body of English rugby didn't want to be accountable, which is an in, interesting concept. If sevens is going to be bigger and if, and it's going to capture the imagination rather than just being a, a source of of a, of a drink up, mm. you're saying they have to get serious. And you think actually they put so much money into it. It now and it's Olympic sport yeah. surely it's now they must be thinking at Twickenham putting it back on, on the agenda surely well, I'd hope so and, and the other thing I know you know when, when I would go in cap, cap in hand often to DORs in the Premiership asking for you know one of those young players to come away with us I'd be wearing my uh, you know you've got your England badge on and they're probably having some argument higher above about something to do with a senior squad and they might think that that player is great for, for his development but because of the other fights you don't get that player and if they actually amalgamated and this is another thing that you know you throw but if they became team GB and then they would be a neutral body going into these clubs they could probably offer have sponsorship probably offer a fee for those young players which will also keep all the various clubs happy and it might work a lot better because you know the Welsh are struggling they're, they're, they're mm. about 12th or 13th struggling to get the quality um, Scotland are doing pretty well it's cost them a lot of money and then England are, are down in eighth at the moment and their, their budget is significant you know you, you, they're touching on two million now so they've but, really got to have a look at what they're doing but at the moment at the top end of the game Sam's is taking part taking place without us really isn't it I mean the top five or six are all are all the other teams yeah. that, that's uh, that's Sam's and it's uh, Twickenham on Saturday and Sunday so it'll be fun and let's hope it's classy and let's um, hope the young English does do really well we're just going to go back to uh, to Fiji now which is oh, I've only ever been there once but it's never never a hardship <laughs> and you've already said that um when you got there, if the, I think the chief, the Frank Bainimarama, yeah, yep. was the, the military chief, and you never quite uh, got over your fear of the guy. No, even at the end. No. Um, also, the chief executive was sacked, uh, and then another guy around around the Fijian Union was uh, basically killed someone. Yeah, he did, uh, which, yeah. which has never happened at Twickenham. I'll, t- I'll tell you that. No. The, but also, there was no infrastructure or backup. You, you found local politics coming into it where someone would march in and say, right, these two are playing, yeah. uh, et cetera. Uh, and there was no salary. So th- as a le- learning experience, hour by hour, yeah. it must have been a torrent of, of, of images and stuff. Yeah, and, and, br- and brilliant at the same time. And it yeah. reminded me of when I was a really young coach and I just tried to get every experience I could, coaching a club and a school and a county and, and a rep team and all these different things just to get as much as... And I, I was learning tons of stuff um, mm. in every respect on the field with the players 
uh, that how how to up manage because I didn't do that very well with Rob Andrew at Twickenham and I needed to up manage a lot better and and when you got a dictator and a convicted murderer then you get a specific set of skills you got to get better at um, and and it was also the national sport so like we talk about the England team they're going to give it their best at Twickenham at the weekend but if they don't win no one's going to bat an eyelid. But if Fiji lose two games in a row or lose a final, it's going to be front back page news in the papers. You know, the old coaches would tell me their house would get stoned if they came back and hadn't won a tournament. Um, and luckily we had success quite early. I still had threatening phone calls at different points in time. And you'll always have your, your guys that think that, that, you know, I'm part of the old, uh, the old empire. I learned things on a day to day basis. And mm. I also, came into the England setup because I thought a bit creatively. I'd worked my way through with Newbury Rugby Club and different others and Brian Ashton had mentored me and I thought differently. And then I got sort of battered a bit by the bigger machine at Twickenham and very slowly. So I didn't actually I didn't wasn't aware as it. Did you realise it was happening? No, to you? And, and and by the end of the year I was you know, I remember stepping onto the field once in training going, I haven't even I hadn't even thought about what I was about to do on the field and that was what I was paid for. Hmm. Not the not the yeah. screaming and shouting in boardrooms. And when we got to the World Cup sevens final in my last tournament in charge, uh, I didn't feel any joy at all. I knew I had to, I knew I had to go. And so mm. Fiji, like with all that stuff that we talked about, it was a blank page. But 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 also it was, it was almost it was far more than just rugby because you say, you say in the book that um, you, you gradually had to discard the paraphernalia of modern life. You're talking yeah. about you slightly missed the bu- the buzz of London, uh, but but there was no you know. There was no mobile phone. At least you couldn't have your mobile <laughs> yeah. phone all day. There was dead. There were no cars going by your house. There was dead silence. And yeah. actually, it was a life linked to nature and the sea because yeah. you 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 were on yeah, yeah, you were yeah. on the seafront and yeah. etc. And also, you had to get used to Fiji time, <laughs> yeah. which basically was what we call it probably Manala elsewhere. But <laughs> yeah. Fiji time, yeah, there was no. If you made an appointment, it, it was all really a basis for negotiation rather than the appointment, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, and if it is important, it will happen. And if it, if it don't turn up then it probably wasn't that important anyway <laughs> you know that's, that's and I had to get used to all of that obviously I had to instill in the boys in training that the, the Fiji time didn't exist they had to be on time and they, they got all that pretty quickly um and yeah you're right I mean it, it was it was weird some of those things where you where you just at night and there is no noise where the simple things become really important I remember, you know, to, to really have an extreme version when the cyclone came in. Cyclone Winston is the biggest cyclone mm. to ever hit in the Southern Hemisphere. Second biggest recorded of all time. Twice the power of uh, Katerina in New Orleans back then. And um, things got destroyed. Two of the boys lost their houses, family houses. And and they all came in to camp five days later, bar one who, who just physically just wasn't possible. And their attitude was, well, we didn't have much to start with, so we'll just rebuild. And they were genuinely felt like that and they were happy. And so, mm. you know, three years previous when I'm in southwest London worrying about which restaurant to order takeaway from or what to, what box set to watch or what red wine to drink, I'm like, I got this wrong, my priorities. And, and I hadn't become a very good version of myself, I think. And Fiji gave me that reset button and, God, I'm so pleased that they did. And you also talk about you know instead of saying right I'll get I'll go to the freezer or a takeaway that that meals became a, not difficult but me, you, you had to plan a meal if you yeah. go to someone that you'd all go along and you'd all cook and you'd all chat but you'd you'd have to plan it because and you had to almost like everyone contribute ingredients because there just wasn't anything any way of doing it yeah that is exactly right and you know they used to get their 
first of all, they'd make me laugh. Uh, the first few months, I'd go somewhere, and cocondo is like a it's like a coconutty, spicy fish dish, and you know, and with rice, and you get stuck in. They'd give me a knife and fork, and I'd I'd use it at the start, and then quickly realise that actually the best way to use your hands to pick out all the bones of the fish, and um, and they, they would they would find it funny when they were. They would see me trying to eat and do things that more mm. traditional way, and 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 I'd talk about my first trip to one of the outside outside islands where I had my chargers and another charger and a laptop, yeah. and you know I was wearing trainers and sh- and everything. And by the time I returned to that one, twelve months later, you know I was barefoot and fancy free, and it and it took time to adjust. But and you were a chief as well. You were a ratu. I was a ratu. That's- yeah, you, my my Fijian name is Ratu Penny Rayani Latinara from the Saruan clan of the Latinaras. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, they gave me they gave me a plot of land, and we were gonna. It says in the book we were gonna build a resort, but actually it's gonna be leased out now, and we're gonna have a school there, which will be be brilliant. Okay. Uh, so yeah, nice. No, uh, I think the thing about Fijians and. You, you've met many of them when they like you they love you and they do everything they can for you and so you know it, it sounds very surreal that they put you on a banknote and a coin and give you chiefly status and name kids after you but actually that's just them showing their love and, and they do it you know on a day-to-day basis to a lot of people the the um there's so many great players there but it's very very um instructive to, to for any coach that you really did treat them as individuals if someone wanted to had a chocolate uh, problem. He wanted chocolate all the time. Instead of saying no chocolate, you'd sort of go along with him and buy yeah. a bar of chocolate and, and do it that way. I mean, you seem to treat everyone in different ways and they responded in different ways, but they all responded. Yeah, they did. You had to find different... And it, like, it came down to, uh, in a real quick story, we were doing... I knew that... I, if I got them fit, number one, got them fit, didn't cost any money, they would be able to do what they do on the field just for longer periods. Mm. So we got them fit and and we were doing these sprints up and down the f- pitch and and I, would, I just looked like there were less numbers every time we were doing it and I could see there was there was rustling in the bushes, boys were hiding in the bushes. So I, I was grabbing them, kicking them out and one of them was very talented, Jerry Tuwai. So I yeah. thought I'd take him home and find out a bit more about him. And we drove to Suva and he lives in a settlement called Newtown. You know, he learned to play on a roundabout how to play rugby I remember after the Olympics a German journalist said to him you know you must have loved playing on the beaches he just showed him the soles of his feet and all the scars he'd got from the tarmac and going now this I told him explained all that and I went to his I went to his uh, his settlement and his mum and dad lived in one room corrugated long drop round the back didn't think they had a generator at the time so um, and sat down and talked to them and said, like, your son is incredibly talented, but he didn't connect training to playing. He just wants to play. And if he doesn't get fit, he's not going to be able to do what he does on a regular basis. And they told me, 13 years old, he he, he would sell fish on the side of the street as um, Vanessa and Poessa, his mum and dad. His dad would dive for the fish, bring them up, sell them. And Jerry would sell them on the side of the road. And when he was 15, he went to see his mum and said, I want to play. I want to play rugby. This is my dream. And he didn't tell she didn't say right don't be daft you've got to earn money uh, for, and the four or five other brothers and sisters they they, they went without food the mum and dad they went bought the cheapest pair of boots mm. they gave him his pair of boots said left boot said this is your knife other boot this is your fork it said this is what you're going to use to put food on the table for us and he had that written underneath each boot when he made his international so knife was, one boot was knife the other was yeah fork. and he scored in the Olympic final he's now captain of the Fiji Sevens team mm. and he and, and, it, and it reminded it, you know after that after that, and I, I was I was speechless really for yeah. uh, you know, and I realised so many things that this kid wasn't lazy at thirteen. I was 
having my lions and playing table tennis mm. with my mates. I certainly wasn't selling fish and earning money for my family. And, and so I thought, right, I've got to go and do that with all the players. And, and with Rapati Calvesi, our manager, who was, is just... Rapati was your, was your chief um, lieutenant and, yeah. and soulmate, really. Yeah, he was. He was. Um, and he's just such a lovely man. And him and Osea Kulinasel, my captain, who I, mm. I feel very grateful. I wouldn't have survived there without him. He might because not, he, yeah. he 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 was seen as a bad boy, and they they yeah. didn't want you to pick him. No, that's right. They told me he was a troublemaker because he stood up for the boys, you know. Because mm. they would go and win a tournament, they'd come back to Nandi Airport, be a big cardboard cutout of a check saying twenty thousand Fijian for the boys, and then that's it. They did mm. disappear. So yeah. Oscar, you know, asked questions, difficult ones. They didn't like to answer. The money would disappear. Well, they just never got it. Always late or didn't happen, and you know it's. <laughs> It's all, you know, it was all into the ether. And so I met, I went to see Oscar and met in his dad, Tui, um, who, who is also an amazing man mm. and instantly got on with him. We didn't have to say much. There was just something that was, it was serendipitous, a bit like a lot of things. The, uh, but Ben, the, the, you talk about the effect you had on them. And then you've also talked in the book about the effect that they had on you. And mm. you were saying that, um, uh, the teams that the other teams on the circuit, they'd have, um, I think you said they had compression tights, they do ice baths, all sorts of warm downs. And you said your guys would just go and jump in a pool. Uh, you go to a waterfall, jump in a pool and, and just splash around in there. Um, and that actually, I think the more it went on, the more you realise that some of the other teams are just too serious. You talk about some of the other teams on the circuit having this blast of of, of yeah. sort of aerobic stuff just before the kickoff, yeah. which the Lions did. They, what, what, what's, what's all that about? And then you've got a guy, a, a, a PhD student, to, 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 and who proved that was absolutely complete rubbish. Didn't didn't work. Yeah. So actually, you stripped down a lot, but not only because you were, they were Fijians, but because the whole game had taken too much on. Yeah, way too much. And you know, I'm, again, I'm lucky enough to go to other sports organisations around the world at the moment, and the really good ones. You know, they have old, they have bottomless pit of money where they get all their gadgets and everything else, and they've suddenly realised that there's just so much noise mm. around their systems. There's not enough signal. It's not, and they're cutting everything down again. Mm. And they've had to go on this little journey, and we're doing it as a as a sport, I think, because we're 30 years behind what's happening in North American sport. We're making these mistakes. Every time you turn on a GPS, you get 100 pages of information, you know, and if you're not careful, you spend all your days worrying about that. And I think if you have a 14-minute game of sevens, if you watch it once with them and you can't work out what's going wrong after, you know, you'd have to keep rewinding it and cutting it up and analysing it and having one-on-ones, you're barking up the wrong tree. So simple can, you know, simple is not always easy to get to, but it is... It is what I saw with Fiji and, and, and often, you know, it doesn't cost any money to do these changes. And yeah, it's, um, a lot of stuff you do is kind of counterintuitive, I think. Um, you, you got to, um, you, you, you win, I think you won the World Series, uh, seven series twice. You're coming into the Olympics and massive publicity. No one, they've never won a medal before, et cetera. Um, when you reach the final, uh, you play brilliantly all the way through, but you reach the final on, fi- on finals day. The guys are all splashing in the pool again, and and you, I'm sure you you were honest where you say you you weren't actually in a panic about it, no. and that must have been a great feeling because somewhere deep down, you must have known that you'd done enough but not too much, uh, and that and the boys were probably going to win it. Yeah, I did. I you know I and I I do talk. I'm and I'm not. Yeah, not for one second lying. I, I did. I just felt very, very relaxed and confident with what the boys, how the boys were. And I remember going to that swimming pool where they were splashing around and throwing people in. 
and it was I don't know what time it was 8.30 in the morning and we were sharing the accommodation with Australia and other Pacific teams and and I on purpose got there late because I wanted to show Nadar our conditioner that that mm. I, I, I trusted him 100% got there late the boys were laughing and singing saying it's going to be a great day and, and they didn't they were just so excited. Were the were the New Zealand team in the pool with you with uh, Gordon Teachens? They had no, they had been knocked out the night before. Oh, right. sorry, so sorry. Uh, so uh, you know, and and I got on well with all those New Zealand boys, and I could see when they were walking around that they had just been overworked, and yeah. it all got they weren't playing their natural the the way they wanted to play, and and yeah, and then it, and it, I think if anybody had been that last 40, 35, 30 minutes before the game, the final had just been just hovering around our changing room and Great Britain's and watching the warm-ups and then going into the tunnel to see the two teams, you'd have said exactly what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. It was night and day how one team was relaxed and the other was uptight. You go out in the final and um, not only have you you've won a gold medal, not even the bronze, it wasn't a bronze or silver, all those thousands of miles away, you must have felt it at home. Mm. That you must have realised exactly what was going on there. Yeah, back you, at home. yeah, I did, and and it was, uh, you know, when we eventually did fly back, it was ridiculous. Yeah. You know, the the whole country, and you know, you, you're you're on your open top bus going through various parts of Fiji, and you've got. You've got every national, you know, it's fairly multicultural Fiji, you know, mm -hmm. half the population's Indian Fiji, as well. Yeah. Um, and you've got, you've got all, all different types of ethnicities all side by side laughing and, and clapping and waving. And, you know, Frank, Frank wanted to get rid of the, the Fijian flag because it had the Union Jack on it and he's not a big fan of, of, um, of, of the UK. And, uh, because of the amount of flags that were being waved. It just they reversed their decision and, and they kept it and it's a beautiful flag I think and it's and you know the Union Jack it's got nothing to do with the f it's the part of the history and uh, it was amazing and um, as the boys sort of sum it up you know it's this tiny dot in the in the middle of the South Pacific but for those brief moments in the Olympics where it was Google's most searched word for an hour everyone's really proud and because the boys come from the people they're not going off then to play professionally most of them are on the island they're they've you know they've been hotel porters they've been policemen army teachers unemployed fishermen uh, farmers the people can can relate to them very you know and and uh it's a very unique team but apart from the the the, the, the way they're centered these guys like colonisa kunitani um nakarawa tuasova did they still make you go wow even though you knew what the, you know, there must have been times when it, God, that, we didn't, even, even if you didn't plan it, you must have been staggered now and again by what they could do. Yeah. There, there were times, and I, I don't mean, I, there weren't one or two, you know, I'd run out of digits to the amount of times that I was a supporter on the side of the field. Hmm. And, and I remember very clearly in my first year in Hong Kong where we were five points up coming into half time, got a penalty directly in front of the post and I was screaming, kick the points. That's two scores, kick the points. They completely ignored me couple of audacious offloads later they'd scored under the posts and it reminded me keep my mouth shut because it's this is a, it's about them they make decisions on the field that's what I should be that's what I think I'm trying to do as a coach so you've got to you know like Oscar will tell you you live by the sword you die by the sword and mm. but um, more often than not they, they wave that thing around pretty handily what about um, it, it's not it wasn't all a good news story with your experience I mean there, there, there were obviously difficulties mm. also um you you talk very movingly about your your ex wife Natalie mm, yeah. and, and and you know you clearly felt for her because you were you were caught up in this whirlwind but I think in the end 
I think you, what you're trying to say is with with a tribute to Natalie that it just possibly you weren't meant to be together, and it wasn't yeah. it wasn't the Olympics that pushed you apart. No, it wasn't. I think it. No, I think Fiji, if anything, sort of showed us that you know. And I don't want to get corny, but you know, you get one crack at life, and you want to be happy. And I wasn't giving her the happiness that she really deserved, and she didn't, and we didn't quite fit. And we made that decision really, and and for me, it was all cemented by what had happened in Fiji. And I, you know, I continue to learn from the lessons I've had in Fiji. Um, yeah, it's not all up and down. And I, you know, I, we had players like Pio Tuai who I had to drop before the Olympic Games, and mm. who, whose house was destroyed by a cyclone, who, whose wife had died from cancer, and I was there just before that she passed. And um, incredibly sad. Um, some of the boys' story backstories. Um, but it, I guess you know it makes everything. Uh, you're grateful for everything. Sport, sp- sp- a kind of sporting sadness. You joined um, an elite group um, when you won the gold medal, and in this aftermath of Sir Clive Woodward, Gary Street, and yourself, you've all won the ultimate honour in in sport: um, the gold medal in sevens, the World Cup for men, World Cup for women. But no one at Twickenham or anywhere else appeared to think right. We're going to go to the top guy in the sport now and bring him in and put him in charge of everything. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, you, 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 you try to find a way to get Super Rugby going in Fiji. Yeah. You've got a vast talent for it. it. It is one of the great coaching feats of all time, the way you, you change what had to be changed, but knew to leave what didn't have to be left. Thank you. You're slightly surprised that no one ha- uh, in authority has said, come and talk to us or head it up I don't know really I mean there's a lot you know there's a lot of good coaches out there and and I sort of have got this whole diet of things I'm doing lots of really cool things there's been a couple of jobs that that I did turn down Edinburgh offered me their head coach job last year and I just didn't think it was quite right for me um and you know actually at the other end of the scale if the RFU said to me Ben come in and sort out state school rugby and I got a free fresh page to do something that's sort of a life that I could I could commit to that sort of thing yeah. because I see what's going on in state school sport I see what potential there is I see how it's undervalued at the moment and and those sort of conversations I'd happily have with the RFU and and no you know look I got lots of good friends at the RFU the guys that I I clashed heads with are no longer there and um, you know, I, I'm, I support England as much as anybody else. But yeah, it's I've got I've got no regrets about any of that. Do you think that uh, the profile it gave you has put you in a pigeonhole as a sevens coach? I think because you, yeah. throughout, throughout you've always said to me, you said to me in an interview, sevens is not something you've got to go away and to, for six months and exclusively do that. You just just you're just a rugby player. Yeah, I think people get really carried away, and and sometimes we're guilty of it ourselves as sevens to sort of say, oh, it's this specialist subject matter that you really need all these key skills. Rugby, you know, I was with Pete Walton earlier today, he's like one of the under 18s coaches. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, it's simple, isn't it? It's run and catch and pass, isn't it? And attackers like it is, Pete. It is, and we just need to realise that. And sevens or fifteens or, or whatever age groups, it's all about the basic foundations and allowing the players to do what they want to do. And uh, yeah, so I, don't, I get that people don't necessarily think that I can do it at fifteens, but it, it doesn't worry me. I know I've got that capability, and if uh, if the the two things align at some point in the future, then great. And if they don't, I'm, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Um, thanks for listening to the rut today thank you a million times ben for coming in 
Ben Ryan Seven's Heaven, The Beautiful Chaos of Fiji's Olympic Dream is just an, an epic book. And I'm not saying that because he's sitting here, because if, if it was rubbish, I'd say so. <laughs> it is just an epic book. It has so many, fa- so many facets to it. Rugby in general, as we learn from social media, rugby fans absolutely do not share the narrow-minded sense that rugby's only six countries. People love Fiji, Samoa, Tonga. They love Georgia coming up. This is the story of a rugby nation which, given a fair run, could be the greatest rugby nation, even if there is a tiny dot Mm. in the Pacific. And um, the man who uh, helped them and took them to a gold medal uh, has written the book. Next week, uh, Owen and I will be back uh, from Joburg uh, to see if England can make something from the beautiful chaos of their current dreams. Thank you, Ben, and thank you for everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to the Ruck Podcast. We're delighted to be teaming up with Funding Circle and Funding Circle Ambassador Jamie George is with me. All right, Jamie? Hello. Hello. How are you? All good. Good, good. So away from Saracens and England duty, you are a business owner and Funding Circle is a huge supporter of small and medium sized UK businesses. How have they helped you? Yeah, so uh, I've got a business with a friend of mine. It's a physiotherapy business, effectively delivering the same level of care I get as a professional sportsman to the general public. And we've been looking to expand and grow the business as quickly as we can. And with the financial products that Funding Circle have done, we wouldn't have been able to do it without them. So Funding Circle has been supporting small businesses with access to the finance they need to grow since 2010. And they know that like rugby, running a business takes hard work, drive and a good team supporting you. If you want to invest in your business and take your team to the next level, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how Jamie is growing his business backed by Funding Circle. Jamie, can you do the honours? Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. The biggest rugby tournament of the year is coming to a Green King pub near you. Watch all the unmissable action live as Europe's top six battle it out for glory in the Six Nations tournament. In and out, in and out, for the line! Leave your rivalries at the door and get their team together to watch the Six Nations. Feel the excitement and the buzz of coming together to enjoy matchday food and drink at your nearest Green King sports pub. Scores in the corner! The Six Nations and Green King. 18 plus, drinkaware.co.uk. 